Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the People Processes Podcast, where we dive into the updates, interviews, and yes, processes that will help your organization thrive. My name is Rami Alijil, and my goal is to help HR managers and business owners create an environment where their people are their organization's competitive advantage. Today, we'll be doing a deep dive into mental health parity, and that includes autism diagnosis. There's a new array of guidance for on um, the Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equity Act that applies to many major medical plans. Oh, and don't forget, we post to LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook, and I would love to hear from you on there with any questions. You can also subscribe to us by going to peopleprocesses.com, where you will receive special subscriber-only content for free. People Processes is also available wherever you get your podcast, and it syndicates on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher Radio. So let's dive right in. The EBSA has released an array of guidance on the Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equity Act, MHPAEA, including proposed frequently asked questions, an enforcement fact sheet, a self-compliance tool, and a revised draft disclosure template. In addition, the Department of Labor has released a report to Congress that outlines its current implementation and enforcement actions in furtherance of the Mental Health Parity Act, which we'll just call that MHPAEA, Mental Health Parity Act. First up, the FAQs address whether it is permissible for a plan to deny claims for applied behavioral analysis, ABA therapy, to treat children with autism spectrum disorder under the rationale that the treatment is experimental or investigative. With respect to medical surgical benefits, the plan approved treatment when supported by one or more medically uh, professionally recognized treatment guidelines and two or more controlled randomized trials. So that's how they determine whether or not something should be covered under medical surgical conditions. A medical management standard limiting or excluding benefits based on whether a treatment is experimental or investigative is an NQTL under the MHPEA. Although the plan as as written purports to exclude experimental or investigative treatment for both mental health and surgical uh, conditions, um, and uh, uh, SUD, which is like your... uh, um, um, Oh, gosh. Um, Drug use. I can't come up with the words at the moment. But basically, um, if you're approving surgical benefits, medical benefits, um, and mental health substance abuse, thank you, disorders, um, if you include, uh, if you exclude experimental investigative treatment for all of those using the same standards in practice, it imposes this exclusion more stringently on the MHSUD benefits, as the plan denies all claims for ABA, ABA therapy, despite the fact that professionally recognized treatment guidelines and the requisite number of randomized controls trials support the use of ABA therapy to treat children with autism spectrum disorder. Accordingly, because the plan applies the NQTL more stringently to mental health benefits to, than to medical surgical benefits, the plan's exclusion of ABA therapy as experimental does not comply with the MHPAE. Now, <clears throat> what, is, what does all that kind of mean? Well, 
In general, the MHPAE requires that the financial requirements, such as coinsurance or copays, and treatment limitations, such as visit limits, imposed on mental health or substance use disorder, that's what it is, mental health, SUD, MHSUD, mental health or substance use disorder benefits, cannot be more restrictive than the predominant financial requirements and treatment limitations that apply to substantially all medical surgical benefits in a classification. With regards to any non-quantitative treatment limitations, NQTLs, the MHPAE final regulations provide that a group of health plan or health insurance issuer may not impose such an NQTL with respect to mental health or substance use disorders benefits in any classifications unless, under the terms of the plan or health insurance coverage as written and in operation, any processes, strategies, evidentiary standards, or other factors used in applying that quantity tre- uh, that non-quantitative treatment limitation to mental health substance use disorder benefits in the classification are comparable to and applied no more stringently than the processes, strategies, evidentiary standards, or other factors used in applying the limitation to medical surgical benefits in the same classification. The MHPAE also imposes certain disclosure requirements on group health plans and health insurance issuers. So, to summarize, whatever you use to determine whether or not it's it's something that um, will be that will have a non-quantitative ter- uh, limit treatment limitation on medical surgical has to be applied to medical uh, mental health or substance use disorder treatments. The broad FAQs on the NQTL, the proposed FAQs, which were prepared jointly by the Departments of Labor, Health and Human Services, and the Treasury Departments, were developed to be consistent with that Section 13,001B of the 21st Century Cures Act. The Section 13,001B requires that the department issue clarifying information and illustrative examples on methods that a planner, issuer, offering group, or individual health insurance coverage can use to disclose information on compliance with the MHPAE. Section 13,001B also directs the departments to issue clarifying information and illustrative examples of methods, processes, strategies, evidentiary standards, and other factors that plans and issuers may use regarding the development and application of NQTLs. This is all about, you know, the most recent administration trying to clarify this very broad requirement under the prior one. Going back to our example then. If it, whether or not it's permissible to, to, for a plan to deny claims for applied benefit uh, apply, applied behavioral analysis therapy to treat children with autism spectrum disorder, the long and short is this FAQ says no. You just you absolutely can't because <clears throat> when you look at how in order to apply an NQTL a, a, a treatment limitation on that, you have to look at how they approve medical and surgical benefits. And there are many medical and surgical benefits that are approved that are less um, um, standard than that autism spectrum disorder treatment. So it does not comply with MHPAEA. Likewise, a plan does not comply with the Mental Health Parity Act when it defines experimental or investigative treatments as those with a rating below B in the Hayes Medical Technology Directory, but the plan reviews and covers certain treatments for medical surgery corrections that have a C on a treatment-by-treatment basis, while denying all benefits for mental health subsidy use treatments. Uh, subsidy use disorder treatments that have a rating of C or below without reviewing the treatments to determine whether exceptions are appropriate. So basically, you have to set the same, same standards, uh, the same evidentiary standards for defining them. So if you're going to approve, and Hayes Medical Directory is a kind of an in-depth topic, but the long and short is there's a list of things, and they say A's are like totally good, B's are okay, C's are not so great, D's are don't are, are highly experimental, okay? 
If you're going to approve everything in the B for medical and the C's uh, on a treatment-by-treatment -treatment basis for uh, medical-surgical, you can't then say we're going to approve B's on a treatment-by-treatment -treatment basis and C's never at all for mental health. Um, that doesn't show parity. Okay. Because of the discrepant application of the evidentiary standard used by the plan, the fact that the plan ultimately denies some medical surgery benefits of having the rating of C does not justify the total exclusion of treatments with a C rating for mental health substance use disorder. So your plan has to treat them both the same. Now, this is probably more in-depth than most HR administrators go, but for those of you who are in the benefits world where you're designing plans, where you're doing uh, self-insured plans, this is a very important thing to make sure your plan covers. It's also good to know as a consumer um, to understand what things should be covered and what shouldn't. And it takes a little while for some of these things to go into effect. So you may have to uh, appeal your claims denials if there's anything like this that pops up over the next few months. A few more things to look at outside of pure uh, uh, experimental treatment denial. Dosage limits. The FAQs also provide that a plan does not comply with the Mental Health Parity Act where it follows professionally recognized treatment guidelines when setting dosage limits for prescription medications, but the dosage limits set by the plan for, oh lord, buprenorphine, 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 to treat opiate, opioid use disorder is less than what professionally recognized treatment guidelines are generally recommend. However, the dosage limits set by the plan with respect to medical surgery benefits are not less than the limits such treatment guidelines recommend. So if, if you're going to follow the same guidelines for medical surgery benefits, you have to follow it for opioid treatment abuse. If the plan follows the dosage recommendations in professionally recognized treatment guidelines to set do dosage limits for prescription drugs in its formulary to treat medical surgery conditions, it must also follow comparable treatment guides and apply them no more stringently in setting dosage limits for prescription drugs, including buprenorphine to treat mental health and substance use conditions. This is a big deal. Right now, a lot of plans don't cover that. It's going to change. <clears throat> it then goes into particular condition or disorder. A large group health plan or large group insurance coverage that provides benefits for prescription drugs to treat both medical, surgical, and mental health substance abuse disorders conditions, but contains a general exclusion for items and services to treat bipolar disorder, including prescription drugs, is permissible under the MHPAEA, although if the plan is insured, it would depend on whether state law permits such an exclusion for large group insurance coverage. Generally, MHPAEA requires that treatment limitations imposed on the MHSUD benefits cannot be more restrictive than treatment limitations that apply to medical and surgical benefits. An exclusion of all benefits for a particular condition or disorder, however, is not a treatment limitation for the purposes of the treatment limitations under the MHPAEA. Small employer group health insurance coverage and individual health coverage are subject to the requirements to provide essential health benefits, and the determination of whether certain benefits must be covered under the requirements for essential health benefits depends on the benefits in the applicable state's benchmark plan. So, a plan can say, we're not going to cover this thing at all, i.e. bipolar disorder. Totally okay. Just like you could have a plan in theory that says, hey, we're not going to cover cancer. It's very unlikely that you would have that plan, um, and you're not going to see it very often, but something like bipolar disorder often comes up. The FAQs also address step therapies, uh, a situation where a health plan is requires uh, step therapy for both medical, surgical, and MHSUD inpatient in-network benefits. 
step therapy is hard to understand for a lot of people, but it's really important. The plan requires a participant to have two unsuccessful attempts at outpatient treatment in the past 12 months to be eligible for certain inpatient SUD benefits. However, in this FAQ, the plan only requires one unsuccessful attempt at outpatient treatment in the past 12 months to be eligible for inpatient in-network medical surgical benefits. That's not going to be permissible under the MHPAEA, according to the FAQs, because refusing to pay for a higher cost therapy until it's shown that a lower cost therapy is not effective, that's basically the definition of step therapy protocols or fail first policies, is an NQTL. It is a, 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 a treatment limitation. Although the same step therapy is applied to both, although the same NQTL step therapy is applied to the mental health and the medical surgical benefits for eligibility for inpatient in-network services that require of two attempts for outpatient treatment to be eligible for inpatient in-network SUD benefits, substance abuse disorder uh, benefits, is more stringent than the uh, limit that is uh, required for uh, of just one attempt at outpatient treatment to be eligible for inpatient in-network medical surgical benefits. Unless the plan can demonstrate the evidentiary standards or other factors were utilized com comparably to develop and apply the differing step therapy requirements for these medical, uh, mental health and medical surgical benefits, the NQTL does not comply with the, uh, with the law. So again, any even step limits, even you can't just say both have step therapy. They have to be the same process. They have to, you can't make anyone more stringent than the other. So if they require step therapy to get an in-network in inpatient surgery, then they have to, then they can require step therapy to get an in-network uh, inpatient substance abuse disorder treatment, but it can be no more stringent than the one that requires surgery. So keep that in mind. Reimbursement rates. A plan does also not comply with the MHPA where its plan document states that in-network provider reimbursement rates are determined based on the provider's required training, license, and expertise. However, medical surgical benefits reimbursement rates are generally the same for physicians and non-physician uh, practitioners. For uh, mental health substance abuse disorders, the plan pays reduced reimbursement rates for non-physician practitioners. While a plan is not required to pay identical provider reimbursement rates for medical, surgical, and mental health providers, a plan's standard for admitting a provider to participate in a network, including the plan's reimbursement rates from the providers, is a treatment limitation. So to kind of wrap that up a little bit, most plan, or if a plan pays the same, whether you're going to a holistic doctor or a licensed doctor or a chiropractor for medical treatment, but then wants to make a determination over here between a psychiatrist uh, and a life coach, right? Or a non-life coach is a bad example, but a non-licensed mental health practitioner, um, they can't. They have to either make it across the board or... Um, uh, not um, or not put that limitation in at all. Just a few other little things. The FAQs also addressed several issues relating to the ERISA disclosures for the mental health substance use uh, disorder benefits. The MHPAE final regulations provide express disclosure requirements, specifically the criteria for medically necessary determinations with respect to mental health benefits must be made available by the plan administrator or the health insurance insurer to any current or potential participant, beneficiary, or contracting provider upon request. 
In addition, under the MHPA, the reason for any denial of reimbursement of payment for services with respect to mental health or substance use disorder benefits must be available to participants and beneficiaries. So they, they provided uh, uh, some sample language for those. A couple other things. The DOL added that if an ERISA-covered plan utilizes a network, like most of us do, its SPD, its uh, summary plan documents, must provide a general description of the provider network. The list of providers in that SPD must be up-to-date, accurate, and complete using reasonable efforts. The list may be provided as a separate document that accompanies the plan's SPD if it is furnished automatically and without charge, and the SPD contains a statement to that effect. Moreover, an ERISA-covered plan must disclose a summary of material modifications or changes in the information required to be included in the summary plan description not later than 210 calendar days after the close of the plan year in which the modification or change was adopted. So that's always been the case. They just actually extended it from 180 to 210 days. But the key here is that your SPD needs to contain language about your provider network. If you're going to provide that electronically, ERISA-covered plans and issuers that utilize provider networks are permitted to provide a hyperlink or URL address in enrollment and plan summary materials for a provider directory where information related to mental health and substance use disorder providers can be found. Finally, the departments are soliciting comments on a revised draft model form that participants, enrollees, or their authorized representatives could, but would not be required, to used to request information from their health plan or issuer regarding non-quantitative treatment limitations that may affect their mental health or substance use disorder benefits, or to obtain documentation after an adverse benefit determination involving mental health substance use disorder benefits to support an appeal. A draft form was issued June 16th, 2017, and based on feedback through that solicitation, the departments have completely revised that form. Uh, the link on that is on our website at peopleprocesses.com. You can click on it, look at the PDF, and they want comments. Public comments are invited on the proposed FAQs and can be submitted through June 22nd of 2018. There's an email address for it. And again, that link is on our website at peopleprocesses.com. I hope this was at least somewhat interesting to you. I know this is a little bit more niche than we normally go into. Uh, we've been getting some questions about mental health parity, about covering um, uh, ABA treatment, those kind of things, and whether or not it has to happen. And the answer is yes. It may not be that way today, but it is now the law. It's actually been the law, but they've just clarified it. So we're going to have to uh, kind of push our insurance carriers to make sure that that's being handled properly. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Rami Alijil, and thank you for listening today. I hope you go out there, have a great day, and get your work done.